Church, today's scripture will be read from Mark 14, 1 verse 11. I encourage you all to stand on your feet as we read the word together on the count of three. One, two, three. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will, always, you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You guys may be seated. Awesome. Good to see you guys back, especially after last week. I know last week's sermon was very, very difficult. So if you're back, that means you love Jesus, right? Awesome. But today's sermon is going to be very contrasting to last week's sermon. Because if last week's sermon is very, very deep to the point that it makes you go into deep sleep, uh, tonight's sermon is actually very simple, but very personal. Let me start with a question. How do we know the word of something? How do we know the word of something? Now, there's an interesting book uh, called Priceless by William Poundstone that is all about how things get their price. And the main thesis of the book is actually, we really have no idea what anything is really worth, okay? In the book, so he gave an example, a Broadway producer explained how when they had an orchestra, and they tried to sell the balcony seats very cheap because they think, right, those seats are, you know, not the best seat in the house, so they put the price down. Do you know what happened? No one will buy them. So because people assume, you know, the, you know, because the price is really cheap, the seat must be really bad. So can you guess what they did in order to sell the balcony seats? They make them expensive. Because now when people look at the price, people are like, ooh, the price is expensive. It must be a really good seats. And you know what? It sells out. So people figured, they figured that they actually can sell more seats with 300 bucks a seat rather than $100. Isn't that interesting? It's like this. It's like when Kanye released his line of sneakers called, you guys know it, Yeezy, right? People will spend thousands of dollars to buy Yeezy. And I checked. The most expensive Yeezy was sold for, you know, how much? 11,400 US dollar. I'm like, come on, are you serious? Is it worth it? Well, if you ask the sneakers collectors, they'll say, well, of course it's worth it. If you ask me, well, definitely not. Definitely not. Okay, I will not pay that much. The most I will pay for Yeezy is 100 bucks. Do you know why? Because it is very uncomfortable to wear. How do I know? I own one. Okay, now before you judge me, I did not buy it. It was given to me, okay? It was given to me for free, okay? Um, but, you know, if you want to take a picture of me preaching using Yeezy and post it in Preacher and Sneaker, we can arrange that, Okay. Like we, can, okay, we can make that happen, free, free marketing. The point is, we live in a culture that we don't really know what things are really worth. And the question of the text for us today is simple as this. I mean, do we know the word of Jesus? Because I believe probably most of us don't. Okay, let me give you the context first. If you remember our sermon from a couple of weeks ago, remember how there's a poor widow who gave everything she had into the offering box? And Jesus praised that widow. 
And then last week, of course, we have this long talk about Jesus talking about destruction of the temple, the end times, an amazing thing. And, but today, in our story for today, it's a bit different. Because in our story of today, Jesus is actually back in Bethany, and he's invited to have dinner at Simon's house. And in today's passage, we will see another woman who actually will give her very best to Jesus. So we will see a striking contrast to the word of Jesus. Because there's one woman who said, Jesus deserves my absolute best. And then there's another person, one of the 12 disciples, who said, I'm going to sell Jesus for a very low price. And I believe the reason why Mark put these two stories side by side is for us to compare the two. Because the question that the text is asking ourselves is this, which side do we fall on? Are we on the side who give our best to Jesus, or are we on the other side who sell Jesus for a very low price? Now, of course, man, we're in church. Okay, we know which are the right answer, right? The right one, of course. But I really want us to struggle with this text because if we can be honest today, I think, I think, maybe not all of us are willing to give our best to Jesus. Okay, let's look at the text together. So the question of the text is this. It's very personal. The question of the text that I want you to ask yourself as you listen to the sermon is this. How much is Jesus' word to you? I have four points. The cost, the criticism, the commendation, the contrast. Let's look at the first one, the cost. First one, two, three. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, well, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at the Bethany in the, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with alabaster flask of ointment of pure nut, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So by this time, we know that Jesus' death is set in stone. Because the religious leaders have decided they have to arrest and kill Jesus no matter what. But they don't want to do it publicly. Why? Because it will cause an uproar. Remember? People love Jesus. The crowd love Jesus. So they don't want to do it by stealth. That's the setting of the story. So Jesus' death is only a matter of time. And then suddenly, Mark switches the camera and zooms in on one dinner at celebration of Simon the leper. So Jesus and his disciples are invited to eat at the house of Simon the leper. Now, obviously, all right, when you read Simon the leper, obviously, he's no longer a leper. He's an ex-leper. Because a leper is not allowed to have people over at their house for dinner. It's not allowed to do that, okay? It's like this. Imagine you are being invited to a birthday celebration of someone positive with COVID. Okay, I want to see how good of a friend you are, okay? You're invited to a birthday celebration with someone positive for COVID, okay? Let's be honest. How many of you will come to that birthday celebration? How many of you will not come to that birthday celebration, okay? Such a loyal friend we are, right? And that's what's happening, okay? So I'm pretty sure that Simon is no longer half leper in this case. So Simon probably been healed by Jesus, and now Simon invited Jesus over to his house for dinner. And while they're reclining at table, enjoying the dinner, something very odd happened. They witnessed a scandalous event that they will never, ever forget for the rest of their life. Here's what happened. A woman approaches Jesus. Now, Mark doesn't tell us the name of the woman, but the account of John tells us that this woman is none other than Mary, the sisters of Martha and Lazarus. Like, if you're familiar with Bible stories, then you know. This is the same Mary who loved to sit at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus, while Martha is busy cooking for Jesus, okay? Ladies, you know this. If you have sister, you know this is how it usually works, right? One of you is the one who does all the work at home, and the other one is the one who loves to sit at the feet of Netflix, Okay? Which one's which? I'll let you argue between among yourself. But now, here's this, this John tells us that in this dinner, 
there's Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And suddenly, Mary showed up, and Mary decided to break Jewish protocol. She interrupted Jewish male fellowship. Because in those days, a woman is not allowed to do that except when she's bringing food. So now Mary comes to Jesus, and Mary brings with her an alabaster jar of perfume of pure nard. Well, now, I have to confess, I am not an expert in perfume nor plants. Okay? So I'm not going to explain to you the detail behind why this Himalayan plant is very significant, why it's very rare, why it's very expensive. I mean, some commentaries do that, right? I'm not going to do that because I don't know anything about plants. And if I try to pretend that I know anything about plants, I'm just going to sound dumb, okay? I don't know anything about plants nor complexity behind perfume. But I know a lot about money, okay? And let me tell you with confidence, this perfume is very expensive. How expensive? That I can tell you. Talk about plants, I can't tell you. Talk about money, I'm well informed. Apparently, this perfume costs 300 denarii, okay? A denarius is actually a day wage. So 300 denarii are equal to a year worth of wage since Jews don't work on Sabbath. So let's put it in today's equivalent. This perfume is worth, you know how much? $50,000. Can we agree this is a ridiculously expensive perfume? I mean, what kind of perfume will cost this much? So me being me, I went to Google and typed, the most expensive perfume in the world. And I was shocked. It is called shumuk. Okay, what is shumuk? Shumuk is what you feel in a hot and dry summer day. Shumuk. No? Javanese people? You don't get that? Okay, never mind. I tried. <laughs> so shumuk, shumuk, it's actually, it enters Guinness World Record for having the most diamonds set on a perfume bottle. It is a unisex perfume. It is estimated that its fragrance lasts for more than 12 hours on human skin and around 30 days when it's used on fabric. And let me tell you how much it costs, okay? Shumuk costs 1.29 million US dollars. And the last time I checked, it is in stock. <laughs> if you are using Shumuk to church today, you are feeling awkward right now, right? But I'm assuming, I'm guessing none of you are wearing Shumuk to church. If you are, I really want to talk to you after the church first, right? I have this church building proposal that you might be interested in. So let's, let's ignore 1.29 million US dollar. Can we agree that $50,000 for a perfume is ridiculously over the top? Well, the question is, well, how did Mary own such an expensive bottle of perfume? Like, is she a crazy rich Jew or something? It's possible. But most commentators agree that the most likely explanation is that this bottle of perfume is actually a family heirloom. It's been handed from one generation to another. So now Mary comes to this dinner bringing their family heirloom. And I'm guessing when Martha looked at that, Martha like, huh, hey, Lazarus, Les, that alabaster gel looked familiar. Yeah, it looked really familiar. Hmm, where do we see it? Hold on a second. Isn't that our family heirloom? Oh, my gosh. Why did she bring it to the party? And what happened next shocks everybody in the room, including Martha. Like you guys know, right, when you have a bottle of perfume, you meant to use it only a drop or two at a time. You guys know that? Some people seem to be oblivious to that fact. They use perfume like they use deodorant. We call them teenagers. <laughs> so everyone in the room thinks that, you know, Mary probably just one used one or two drops to make Jesus smell better. But what Mary does next horrifies the whole room because what she does, she breaks the whole jar. She breaks the alabaster jar, which tells us there's no turning back. Once she breaks the jar, it's gone. It is gone forever. Okay? Not only that, so Mary's not only pouring a drop or two on Jesus, she's splattering it all over Jesus. Mary poured out the perfume from Jesus' head and unto his feet. 
So she gave Jesus a bath of precious perfume. And we must understand this in its context. Because in our context today, if someone comes to our house and start pouring things over our head, that is not a good thing. Okay? We should be concerned. But in that context, that's actually a good thing. So when someone pours oil over your head, it's actually a sign of love, a sign of acceptance, approval. So what we see is a woman who pours out everything she has, her family held loom on Jesus. So what Mary says, this symbol says, Mary says, Jesus, whatever hopes I have, whatever dreams I have, whatever ambition I have, whatever I have, I'm pouring out all on you, Jesus. I'm giving my very best thing I have to you. I'm not holding anything back. All I have is yours. And if you're Martha, you're probably thinking, but that perfume is mine as well. Sister, what have you done? But Mary is not done. Now, Mark doesn't tell us this, but John tells us after that, you know what Mary did? Mary poured out the perfume over Jesus' head and feet, and then she began to wipe Jesus' feet. You know with what? With her hair. Now, in the ancient world, it is almost scandalous for a single woman to let her hair down. It is considered as a sign of loose moral. So Mary not only loosened her hair, but then Mary used her hair to wipe Jesus' feet. Can we agree this is not normal? Some of you might say, well, what does it say in the original language? Let me tell you what it says in the original language. It says it's weird. That's what it says in Greek. No matter what angle and culture we try to look at this, what Mary did is not normal. Can we agree? Because Mary breaks all social norms. What Mary's doing here, Mary's wiping someone's feet with her hair. And what she's saying to Jesus is simply this. I don't care what people think. I know who you are. I know you deserve my best. I know you deserve my devotion. And there's nothing, there's nothing that can make me ashamed of you. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I must honor you with everything I have. That's Mary. So I want us to pause a little bit before we continue with the story. Here's the question that the text is asking us. What is our alabaster jar? What does our devotion to Jesus cost us? Because this is what we must get. It is one thing to say that Jesus is worthy. It is another thing to break our alabaster jar for Jesus. So the question for the text is not whether we think Jesus is worthy or not. Because let's face it, you are in church, I'm in church. So if we ask the question, well, is Jesus worthy? Your answer will be, well, of course. That's why I'm in church. Of course we say Jesus is worthy. But when the question shifts now, it's not whether Jesus is worthy or not. But when the question is, are you breaking your alabaster jar? That's different. But you see what Mary did? Mary withhold nothing from Jesus. She not only gave 10%, she not only gave 70%, 90%, oh no, she gave 100%. She break her alabaster jar at the feet of Jesus. And alabaster jar speak about the most treasured possession in her life. So here's the question. What is your alabaster jar? What is your most treasured possession? Is it your portfolio? Your family, your spouse, your children, your work, your investment, your lifestyle, your self-image, your business, your standard of living. And the question of the text is, until you are able to bring it to Jesus and break it in front of Jesus, you have yet to know the true word of Jesus. Unless you are willing to give up anything for Jesus, you have yet to know what Jesus is truly worth. Because we will find out from this text, Jesus is worth infinitely more than our alabaster jar. But what's interesting about it, like you think people will praise Mary, wow, this is awesome. But it's not. Mary received criticism. My second point, verse 4 to 5. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. 
and they scolded her. Now, do you see what happened? Isn't it interesting? So when people in the dinner saw what Mary did, rather than praising Mary, they, you know what? They criticized Mary. They're angry. They're scandalized, scandalized by what happened before their eyes. And Mark doesn't tell us who they are, but other gospel tell us who they are. Do you know who criticized Mary? It's Jesus' disciples. It's Judas who voiced out the concern, but other disciples agree with Judas. So what they, what they say is, this, why would anyone waste $50 perfume like that? I mean, we could have sold this perfume and give it to the poor. And let me be honest. Can you sympathize with the disciple? I can. Because when I, look, when I think about what Mary did, I mean, the disciple reasoning is very logical. Why waste $50,000 just like that? I mean, there are a lot of poor people in Africa who can use the money. Am I right? We can feed so many hungry people and provide clothing and shelter. $50,000 would be a remarkable gift. The disciples are being very practical. They see what Mary does as an excusable extravagance. It is a waste. Imagine that, let me put it this way. Imagine a man going off to the fiercest war. And you know that he's almost surely going to die. And on his way to battlefield, someone say, you know what, mate? I'd like to give you a parting gift. Here's my $50,000 Rolex so you can keep track of time during the war. What will we say? We will say, that's very dumb. Am I right? Because, come on, that man's going to die. Why would you give him $50,000 Rolex? You know, he's going to die. You're going to waste it. Can I have the Rolex instead? The disciple sees Mary devotion as a waste. But here's what we must get. When they say that, they're not only demeaning Mary, but also Jesus. Because by criticizing Mary costly devotion, what they are saying is Jesus is not worthy to be honored in that manner. They do not see the word of Jesus. I mean, we understand this, okay? Let's have an example. It's your birthday. We understand the value of a gift signal the value of the person to whom the gift is given. The value of a gift signal the value of the person to whom the gift is given. So if it's your birthday and I buy you soft soft cone for your birthday, then you know that you are worth 70 cents to me. But if it's your birthday and I buy you Ferrari, then you know that you are worth more than life to me. Because it will cost me the rest of my life to pay for the car. So for Mary, Jesus' word is infinite. Mary deemed Jesus worthy of sacrifice, but not the disciple. The disciple criticized Mary for the very reason she's willing to give up her very most treasured possession. In other words, the disciples do not think Jesus is worthy to receive Mary's total devotion. And isn't that the world that we live in today right now? The world, and in fact many Christians, have no problem with moderate devotion to Jesus. They have no problem. But they have a big problem with total devotion to Jesus. Let me give you an example. True story, by the way. There were two young women who came to a minister and said, when they got off the college, they decided to go into missions. They wanted to work in third world country, doing community health and development and start new churches. And later, the parents of these two women came to the minister and said, hey, minister, they are just girls. They need to get a job. Talk some sense into them. They can't go into third world country for mission. They need to get a master's degree. They need to get married. They need some security in life. So please talk some sense into my girls. But are they right? As if getting married and getting master's degree can give you security in life. But that's what people do when we are devoted to Jesus. They don't have issue with moderate devotion. But the moment you have total devotion to Jesus, the moment you walk away from your career and become a full-time pastor... The moment you walk away from your family and become a missionary, 
The moment you prioritize coming to church and serving God over taking your children to soccer practice or birthday party, the moment you begin to invest your money in the kingdom of God and rather than your own personal future security, people will say, are you out of your mind? What a waste of your life. What a waste of your money. What a waste of your time. You shouldn't do it. It's not worth it. And the sad reality is this. Too many of us today have a devotion to Jesus that makes sense to the world. It shouldn't. Our devotion to Jesus should not make sense to non-Christian. If our life makes sense to the watching world, then we do not know the true word of Jesus. So it's a question. Does our devotion to Jesus make sense to the watching world? Because total extravagant devotion to Jesus does not make sense. Mary is criticized by the disciples because of it. But at the same time, Mary received praise from Jesus. Look at what happened next. The commendation, verse 6 to 9. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I love this part. While all the disciples criticized Mary, Jesus said, leave her alone, for she has done a beautiful thing to me. The disciples look at Mary's devotion and say, what a wasteful thing. Jesus look at Mary's devotion and say, what a beautiful thing. Because for Mary, it's not a waste. Because right now, Mary has a new software system by which she does her accounting. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 13, verse 44. You know this verse, very famous verse. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buy that field. Now pay attention to what Jesus said. So the analogy goes like this. So one day a man finds a treasure hidden in a field, and the man realized this treasure worth more than everything that he possessed. So what he did? He sell everything he has in order to buy that field. But do you realize how he does that? He doesn't do it, well, I have no choice, I have to do this. But Jesus said he does it in his joy. It's not a begrudging thing. It's not like I have to think. Because he said, no, this thing is far more precious than everything I own. So why do I have to sell everything I have with sad face? It is a joyful thing. And this is what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is saying Jesus is worth the cost. Yes, we may lose everything we have. Yes, we may have to sell everything if we have, but it's worth it because Jesus is far better. Whatever transaction that we have to make to honor Jesus, it is worth it. Jesus called it a beautiful thing. If you ever fall in love, you get this. When we fall in love, we do silly things. Am I right? I don't know if a love letter is still a thing today or not, okay? But back in the day, when I received my very first love letter from my crush at the age of 15, which is a long time ago, I spent hours reading that letter. And that letter, let me tell you, is only one page long. One page, okay? So what I did, I paid attention to every word she wrote, and I dissected it. Dear Yoshi, two words. And I paused, and I pondered, what is the meaning of this dear? <laughs> Does she call everyone dear, or am I dear to her? Dear Yossi, I've been thinking about you. She's thinking about me. In what way? In a friendship way, or more than friend way? And then she wrote, I've been praying for you. Like, okay, is this a general kind of prayer for my well-being, or is it a prayer for about our relationship in the future? And then she drew a smiley face. And I thought, oh, she's smiling at me. Now, you might think I was obsessive. 
but every word mattered to me. And the next day, I failed my quiz because of it. Now, it was a dumb transaction for sure, but it was a joyful one. And what Jesus gets is the point is, when you make transaction with Jesus, it is never dumb because he is the treasure above all treasure. Whatever transaction that you done, you make in order to have Jesus, in order to honor Jesus, it's worth it, whatever the cost. It is a beautiful thing. Look at what happened in verse 7. It's striking. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good to them, for them, but you will not always have me. <laughs> when I read this, I'm like, seriously, Jesus? You just say that? Do you not care about the poor? Jesus cared about the poor. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, we know that Jesus cared about the poor. In fact, New Testament specifically commands us to care for the poor. But what Jesus points out here is, you guys will always have the poor with you. The poor will always be present with you. Because the poor represent an ongoing opportunity and ongoing obligation. But not so with Jesus. Because they will not always have Jesus. Because in matter of days, we know this, Jesus will die. And they will not see him anymore. In other words, Jesus is telling them, I want you to put much greater value on me than the poor. Because you will always have the poor, but you will not always have me. And this is probably the most shocking thing in the story. Yes, the alabaster jar is shocking. Yes, wiping Jesus' feet with her hair is shocking. But it's the most shocking thing in the story is the way Jesus talked about himself. Jesus seems to think that he is the most important person in the world. Right? Because Jesus looked at everything Mary does and Jesus said, I am worth it. Come on. Who else can say that? Who talks like that? Like imagine if one day uh, the leaders in the church decided to honor me and they decided to buy me a brand new Ferrari cost $1 million with church money. You heard about it. And you were very upset. You came up to me and said, Yossi, pastor, that money could be used for many better things. New South Wales have a lot of poor people. The flood victim, we can use the money for them. And I said, poor people? Flood victim? There's so many of them. But there's only one me. I am worth it. If that ever happened, please find another church. <laughs> because can we be honest? No one is worthy of that. I am not worthy of that. But there's one who is worthy. His name is Jesus. And once again, Jesus is not saying, don't care about the poor. But Jesus said, yes, take care of the poor. Pay attention for the poor. But worship only the Savior. Because it is very possible to care for the poor and minister to others and not worship Jesus. And verse 9 is beautiful. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. What a commendation. If everyone around Mary criticized her, Jesus said, Mary, what you did will be talked about for many generations to come. In fact, today, 2,000 years later, we are still talking about it. Long after the Roman Empire is gone, long after kings and presidents pass away, long after that, the beautiful act of Mary will continue to be remembered. Why? Because Mary thinks Jesus is worth it. She received criticism from everyone around her, but she received Jesus' commendation. So my friend, if there's any voices around us that tell us again and again to moderate our love for Jesus, ignore it. For the world, it might be a waste, but for Jesus, it is beautiful. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's not what we say about ourselves that matter. It is not what other people say about us that matter. At the end of the day, it's only what Jesus say about us that matters. Parents, do you want to make difference in the life of your children? Here's how. 
show them your beautiful devotion to Jesus. What your children need is, is not more money. It's not more toys. It's not getting into the best school. It's not more opportunity. It's not having the best exam result. It's not having more extracurricular lessons. It's not to travel the world at the age of five, no. If you want to leave lasting legacy on your children, what your children need the most from you is to see your love for Jesus. Your children need to see that daddy and mommy think Jesus is worth it. But then look at the contrast, which is very interesting. First 10 to 11, there's one person in the room who did not get it. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So if Mary is a picture of someone who says, Jesus is worth it, Judas is a picture of someone who says, Jesus is not worth it. But what I find very striking, do you know who's Judas? He's not a stranger. Judas is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, which means if anyone should know the true word of Jesus, it should have been Judas. He's been with Jesus for three years. He saw all the wonderful things that Jesus does. But rather than giving Jesus what is worth, Jesus goes to the chief priest in order to betray Jesus. Note, it is not chief priest who go to Judas. It is Judas who goes to the chief priest to sell Jesus, which gives us a very, very strong warning. I hate this, but it is true. Here's the warning. Proximity to Jesus does not guarantee faithfulness. We can be around Jesus all our life and never see his true word. And when the chief priests hear about Judas' plan to betray Jesus, they're very happy. They promise to give Judas money. Once again, Mark doesn't tell us how much. But other gospel accounts tell us, Judas sells Jesus, you know for how much? 30 pieces of silver. Most commentators agree the word silver is just another way of describing a denarius, which was the most common silver of that day. So let's do the math. You guys are smart people. Mary poured out how much? 300 denarii for Jesus, correct? And Judas sell Jesus for 30 denarii, which means Judas sell Jesus for one-tenth of the price that Mary poured out for Jesus. If Mary thinks Jesus worth $50,000, Judas is more than happy to receive $5,000 for Jesus. Do you know what we call this? We call this terrible bargain. Because Judas has no idea what Jesus is truly worth. Now, I want you to see the contrast. The contrast between Mary and Judas. Mary is a woman of no real standing. Judas is one of the 12. Mary goes, give all she has to, Ju to Jesus. Judas takes as much as he can for Jesus. Mary blesses Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. Mary loved Jesus. Judas uses Jesus. Mary does a beautiful thing for Jesus. Judas does a despicable thing to Jesus. Mary is forever remembered for her, devotion, for her devotion. Judas is forever remembered for his betrayal. Ultimately, it comes down to this. Jonathan Edward said this way, the thing that shocked everyone in the room about what Mary does is its uselessness. Think about it. It is useless to Jesus. Jesus does not need $50,000 perfume, okay? $50 perfume is more than enough already. But also, it's also useless to Mary because Mary knows that Jesus loves her, Martha, and Lazarus. Mary already knows that she already has Jesus' favor. So why on earth did Mary need to pour out $50,000 perfume to Jesus? 
And here's what Jonathan Edwards say. In other words, the main contrast between Mary and Judas is simply this. Mary thinks Jesus beautiful. Judas only sees Jesus as useful. Mary says, I serve Jesus because I deserve nothing, but Jesus gave me everything. I see him, I see him as beautiful, and he is my treasure. His word, $50,000 perfume. Judas say, I serve Jesus to get things from Jesus. I see him as useful. And if he's no longer useful, I will sell him and gain as much as I can from him, even if it's just $5,000. Now, before we go high and mighty toward Judas, consider this. You and I sell Jesus for far cheaper than 30 pieces of silver all the time. The question that the text is presenting us is this. What is our price? Because maybe we are willing to follow Jesus when everything works out well. But the moment things do not work out well, at what point do we stop and sell Jesus? I mean, how often do we see people, infant pastors, sell Jesus for a few minutes of sex? How often do we sell Jesus for good reputation at the office? For the approval of our classmate that we won't see again? For acknowledgement of people we don't even like? For business deals that make our bank accounts slightly fatter? Let me make it personal. For working hours that stop us from coming to church or MC. For assignment, schoolwork that we could have done other days. How often do we sell Jesus for far less than 30 pieces of silver? I mean, we think rationally, we will not make this bargain. We will not make this transaction. Because this is a dumb transaction. But that's what sin does. Sin makes us stupid. And here's my concern. Okay? Here's my fear. For some of us, we might be in church right now. You might agree with everything I say, and you might agree with the gospel. You can articulate the gospel maybe even better than me. But at the same time, my fear is that you are blind to the word of Jesus. You are Judas. You don't think Jesus is worth it. Whatever it is, that is your price. And unless you see the true word of Jesus, here's going to happen. You are going to sell Jesus again and again and again. There's only one way. You have to see. You have to see his true word. So the question is, how can we do that? How can we see the true word of Jesus? Now, if you have type A personality, you will have realized by now that I skip one first. Anyone realize the skip, the first that I skip? Okay, it's verse eight. And this is what it say. Jesus said this about Mary. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Now, this verse is puzzling. Let me tell you why. Some commentators say that Mary knew about Jesus' sacrificial death for God's people. So they said that Mary has this special insight from God that Jesus will have to die and then be resurrected for our sin. Well, I'm not convinced that's the case. On the other hand, many commentators say, well, she couldn't possibly know what, that Jesus is going to die because no one at the time expected Messiah to die and be resurrected. So how do we explain this first then? I think the answer lies somewhere in between. She couldn't possibly understand all the significance that come with Jesus' death. But she somehow, somehow she know that Jesus is going to die. You can call it woman intuition if you want. Here's what happened. Jewish law demanded no Jew be buried without being anointed. But in a matter of days, Jesus is going to be captured, taken away, beaten, and crucified. And he's going to be buried without being anointed. And in the providence of God, here in the house of Simon the leper, the anointing and preparation for Jesus' burial takes place. Okay? 
What does that mean? Here's what it means. Mary doesn't understand exactly what's happening. But somehow, her faith and her love for Jesus enable her to perceive that something that no one else knew at the time, and that is this. She realized Jesus is going to die. She might not understand why, but she knows that Jesus will die. That's why she prepared for his burial. So when she anoints Jesus' feet uh, with her hair and wiped it with her hair, what she saying is this, God, Jesus, I don't understand what's going to happen. But I know that you're going to die. And I know you're going to die for me. And it overwhelms me. That's why I want to lavish all my affection on you. And if Mary can do that with the little that she knows, how much more for us? Because today, you and I know why Jesus must die. Jesus must die because it is the only way for us to be saved. It is the only way for us to have eternal life. The price for eternal life is the death of the eternal, perfect Son of God. See, at the cross, Jesus took all the punishment, punishment of sin that we deserve. Just like Mary shattered her alabaster jar, Jesus' body was shattered. Jesus literally gave everything he had so that everyone who put their faith in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. But if Mary broke her treasure, if Mary broke her alabaster jar for the treasure above all treasure, Jesus broke his body for broken, sinful people like us. But at the cross, here's what Jesus said about us. Yes, you are sinful. Yes, you are broken. But you are worth it. You are worth the cross to me. So if you believe in Jesus right now, that's the good news about you and me. We are worth the cross to Jesus. The question is, do we see that? Do we know that we are worth the cross to Jesus? Do we see Jesus dying at the cross for us? Do we see how much we were to Jesus? Because to the degree we see how much we were to Jesus, to that degree we see Jesus true word. And the fact of the matter is, we cannot Jesus, love Jesus too much. We cannot. We cannot devote ourselves to Jesus too much. Because when we see the true word of Jesus, it's like the stars go out because the sun arises. What seems valuable to us suddenly becomes expendable. Why? Because we see Jesus' word infinitely more than Allah Basujar. The question is, the question of the text and the question of the sermon is simply this. How much is Jesus' word to you? Can we close our eyes? I think it's very easy for us to say, yeah, I know Jesus' word. But I think the text what God is asking us today is not whether we think Jesus is worthy. But the question that I want you to ask your heart, and I believe the Holy Spirit is whispering to your heart right now, is this. How much is He worth to you? Because unless we're able to come to Him and say, Lord, you deserve my alabaster jar. Unless we can come up to Him and say, Lord, you deserve my everything, my very best, my dream, my hope, my ambition. And unless we can do that and actually break our alabaster jar, everything that we say about Jesus is meaningless. So tonight, I think the question that I want us to really struggle with is, how much? How much is He worth to you? What is your price? Because all of us has a price. And unless we are willing to break the jar for Jesus, we do not know His true word. So what is your jar? Be honest with yourself. Right? What is that thing that you know this is the thing that gives you meaning in life? This is the thing that you hold on the most. This is your number one possession, your treasure in life. 
can you bring that to Jesus and break it in front of Jesus? Because only then, and only then, you know the true word of Jesus. Whether his word, alabaster, or you're simply using him to gain $5,000. So before we close, if right now you know that, you know that, you know that God is speaking to your heart and said, give it to me. I want your alabaster jar. And you know that God is speaking to you. I don't want you to waste it because that is a beautiful thing. It is not a wasteful thing. So if right now you know that God is speaking to you and you want to respond, I want to give you an opportunity. Just raise your hand in count of three. One, two, three. Just raise your hand high because it's between you and Jesus, not between you and me. And you can put your hands down. Dear Heavenly Father, I prayed, I pray that whatever it is, Lord, that you demand of us, whatever alabaster jar that you're asking us right now, I pray that we are able to respond like Mary. We, we hold nothing back from you because we see you as our ultimate treasure in life. So I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you continue to work in our heart. Pray for the people who raise their hand. I pray that you will continue to give them the strength, enable them to do what needs to be done. Not in order to earn salvation, but because they have seen your true word in their life. Help us, Holy Spirit. Because without your help, we are blind to your beauty. But because of you, we can see how much you truly word. Open our eyes to your beauty. And we ask this in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we pray.